Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. Transitions. This is a fun one. Everybody say hello to Emily. Emily's preaching this morning. Yeah, all right. Good job. Hey, this is a little wet, sorry. I don't know. Well, it'll blend in with my sweat. It's fine. <laughs> Kidding. How is everyone this morning? Are we doing well? Plenty of people in the room. <laughs> I'm just going to vamp until, I'm kidding. Uh, I want to take a moment before we begin to um, introduce myself. My name is Emily Snyder, and I'm on the preaching team here at the Vineyard. Um, And I want to welcome you to church today. If you're here visiting because you had a loved one be baptized, welcome. Shout out to my family, because my daughter got baptized today. Yay. Yay. If you're a first-time person, you just got to witness one of my favorite things about the vineyard is the way we do baptism. Uh, And if you've been here for a long time, welcome as well. (laughs) Um, I do want to tell a really cute story. Um, Last night, I was talking to my daughter, Isla. She got baptized, and I said, "Um, you know, it would be really fun if maybe like this summer when there's no like homework and stuff like that, maybe you and I could do, start doing like a little Bible study together. And she was like, yeah, I would love that. Um, But just maybe not like a grown-up Bible. And I said, what? And she goes, well, they're just like a little boring and um, hard to understand. If you could find something that rhymes, that would be great. (laughs) And I was like, okay, um, sure. So I hate to tell you all, but this morning we're going to be in the grown-up Bible. It doesn't rhyme, (laughs) but I think we can handle it. Is that good? (laughs) All right. Forgive me for that one. I thought it was so cute. Well, last week was Easter, It was awesome. Uh, And I find myself in the week uh, after Easter um, not saying so much, you know, Jesus is risen. He is risen. What? Indeed. Indeed. I find myself asking, Jesus is risen. Now what? Okay. And I think it's a valid question for all of us. Jesus is risen. Now what? Um, Have you ever been anticipating something? Yes. Say yes. We've all anticipated things. Um, And then you let that thing become like the sole focus of your life leading up to that point. So since it's like almost May, which is unfathomable to me, by the way, but since it's almost May, let's use graduation as an example. Okay. Is there anybody here in the room who's about to graduate? Okay. 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 I see a few people. So you're working towards graduation, right? You got your cap and gown, you're finishing up your assignments, you're writing papers. If you were some friends of mine in college, you were trying to get your last minute convo credits, 
because they won't let you have that diploma without them. I don't know if they still do that anymore, but it was very much a thing. Oh, everybody's shaking their head yes. Okay, <laughs> okay, good to know. Um, so you're trying to get your last minute convo credits. You're working and you're working and you're working and then you get to the day and it's awesome, right? You put on your cap and your gown and you get with your cohort and you go with your friends and you walk across the stage and you get your diploma and then hopefully afterwards you have a party right? To celebrate your academic success, right? Uh, and then you wake up the next morning. I don't know, right? You still got to get groceries. <laughs> you got to get a job. Uh, the car still needs gas. And it's like that with these things that we work toward. I remember uh, very distinctly coming home from my honeymoon and then standing in our empty kitchen and thinking, I am both now married and need groceries. <laughs> the big day happened, but we got to eat, right? It's the same with having a kid or retiring or the last day of school before summer break. We anticipate, we anticipate, we anticipate, and then the day comes. And there's a sense in which, having gone through the thing, everything is different. We still got to get groceries. And I think we can look at Easter in somewhat the same way, right? Uh, everything changed that day when Jesus came back to life. But at the same time, uh, Jesus' friends, they still had to eat. Uh, they still went fishing. They still had to work. They were still uh, nervous about the government because they didn't like Jesus. They probably don't like the people that Jesus associated with. Uh, what this tells me then is that there is something about the way we live our everyday lives in the knowledge that Jesus has been resurrected that really matters to God. So this morning, we're going to look at three instances of Jesus appearing uh, to his friends after his resurrection. Uh, and we're going to see that while nothing seemed to have changed, literally everything had changed. And on the flip side, while everything had changed, some things still remain the same. So we're also going to break each one of these stories down into three segments. One, we're going to see Jesus bridging the gap between the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New. Two, um, in each of these stories, Jesus is reorienting his friends and his followers on how to interact with him uh, as a newly resurrected Savior. And three, uh, in those moments of reorientation, there are invitations for us even now into living a resurrected life with Christ. So are you ready to get started? Hope so. Okay, let's do it. First, uh, let's pull up the story of Mary in the garden. Let's go to John 20. We're going to read that. All right, John 20, we're going to read 11 through 18. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. And she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, 
Why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but what? She didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? He knew. She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. She's desperate. Mary, Jesus said, and she turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. I love this story. It's so good. Um, I've always loved that Mary stayed when everyone else went back home. They were all confused, right? Adam talked about that last week. Everybody was confused. (laughs) Um, They were all just destroyed by what had happened. They all went home to mull things over. But Mary stayed. And that persistence was rewarded by being the first person to actually see Jesus' resurrected body. This story not only has Old Testament echoes, which we're going to get to in a minute, uh, but we're also seeing John 10 play out in real life, which we sang about today. I didn't even plan that, guys. That's pretty cool. Woohoo! Uh, in John 10, Jesus says, my sheep will know me by what? My voice. They won't follow a stranger because they don't know the stranger's voice. When did Mary recognize who Jesus was? Mm-hmm. When he said her name. It's only when the good shepherd says her name that she realizes the identity. She knows him by his voice. So not only is this uh, Mary as the apostle's apostle, right? But we're seeing her as the first person to be brought into the new flock from the good shepherd himself. So where's our Old Testament echoes? Where do we kind of see like uh, currents of the Old Testament in this? Well, Genesis starts out in a garden, right? Adam is the gardener, and he kind of makes a mess of things, you know? He kind of makes a mess of things. So it's only good and right that Jesus, who is referred to by Paul as the new Adam, is is at first mistaken for a gardener. I love that imagery. Instead of sowing death and destruction, he is now sowing life and good news of the new covenant. And here's what he's doing. He's calling Mary and all of us into that vocation as well. So let's bring up, can we bring up verse 17 again? This is where Jesus begins to reorient Mary. He says, don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. Basically what he's saying is, I'm still going to be around a little bit. You can hug me later. I've got something for you to do, right? (laughs) Go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Uh, 
one commentary that I came across this week uh, really put it best. Could you go ahead and put that quote up that I sent, that I emailed? Yeah. What Jesus is really doing is redirecting Mary's desire for union with himself from his physical or his earthly body by hugging to the new locus of his presence in the world that is the community of his brothers and sisters, the disciples. It is good. See, Jesus knew he would soon be going back up to heaven and the Holy Spirit would be coming. So he sends Mary to spread the word to his friends and followers who would eventually be the ones going out and carrying his presence into the entire world. He is reorienting Mary to the new way that things would be working from here on out. And that is our invitation as well. That is our invitation as well. Resurrection invites us into the work of carrying news of Jesus' continued presence into the whole world. That's what Mary was tasked to do by the new gardener, and that's our task as well. We have seeds of the kingdom, and just like our Father, we can spread them everywhere. We can spread them everywhere. And here's what, I don't know, I just felt like the Lord speaking this over me this week. As we're spreading that good news, here's what we're saying. Uh, Hey, everyone, we belong in the kingdom. Jesus is where we belong. Thanks, Lord. Yeah. Okay, we're going to look at the road to Emmaus now. If we could pull up Luke 24. Okay, we'll get to that in just a minute. So this is the same day, okay, that he comes back to life. There's a couple going from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is about seven miles. Uh, Many scholars think that this was a married couple, a man and a wife, which I think is pretty cool. And that's how I'm going to imagine it from here on out, okay? So (laughs) um, they're talking about all the things that had happened, right? And then a stranger joins them on the road. The stranger is Jesus. Okay, so a stranger joins them on the road, and he's like, hey, guys, what are you talking about? And I kind of love this. Like, they walk for miles with Jesus. They don't recognize him. They begin telling Jesus how disappointed they are that he died and how upset they are that his body is no longer there. And the whole time, Jesus is like, you've got this wrong. <laughs> you got this wrong. And so Jesus then begins, not by, by being like, it's me. He begins to take them throughout like, you know, all of the, the prophecies about him and why the son of man was going to have to die and then come back to life. And they get to where they're going and they're still like, hey, stranger, want to share a meal? Because they still don't get it. They still don't know who he is. So I think it's really important when we're reading this story to ask ourselves, well, when did they get it? When did it click for them? So we'll start in verse 28. Uh, But this time they were nearing Emmaus, the end of their journey. (laughs) I don't understand why this cracks me up, but Jesus acted as if he was going to go on. Like, oh, no, it's fine. I'll just just keep going. No problem. Um, But they begged him, no, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, 
he disappeared. <laughs> it clicked, though, when they went through the motions of the very familiar task of just eating a meal. See, everything had changed, but we've still got to eat, right? Uh, I say this knowing that there's at least one of my college professors in the room today. <laughs> but, you know, I don't remember everything I learned in college. I don't. I remember a lot of things, but I don't remember everything. Here's the things that I do remember, though, are late night study sessions at Huddle House, right? Uh, eating waffles and pretending to study with my dear friends. I do remember that. Not so much Greek. I wish I did. Um, but there's something about the joining of a physical task with a spiritual task that engages us, you know? So the entire world had changed because Jesus had come back to life. Yet they realized who Jesus was, not when he was standing in front of them saying, here's what the prophets <laughs> say about me, but in the ordinary moment of sharing a meal with Jesus. So uh, where's our Old Testament bridge? Well, let's bring up Genesis 3, 6. This is the first meal that we read about in the Bible. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment... Their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, notice in both of the accounts, the, the first meal in the garden and uh, the, fir the first meal of the new covenant, right, in Emmaus, uh, eyes are opened. Um, eyes are opened. Um, the first meal of new creation, Jesus breaks bread and their eyes are open to life and victory standing in front of them as the very much alive Jesus. And then he disappears. <laughs> okay, um, could you pull up? Okay, this is, okay, we're going to go back to the story in Luke 24, 30 and 31. I'm really giving Reese a workout up there, I'm sorry. So how is Jesus reorienting his friends? Well, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it, and he broke it, gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were open, they recognized him, and at that moment, he disappeared. The act of taking bread and blessing it and breaking it, it had to be a very familiar thing for them, especially if they were friends of Jesus. I imagine that they had had meals with him before. The same is true for us today. Like, there's things about our routines and our homes and, like, the people that we do life with that are just very familiar, right? We expect certain things. And Jesus knew he wouldn't be on earth indefinitely. He knew that. So even before his death, at the Last Supper, we see him saying, when you eat and drink, remember me. Remember me. There are some things that I don't do every day. There are some things that you don't do every day. What is something we all do every day, multiple times a day? We all eat, we all drink, because we kind of want to stay alive. You know, it's important. While Jesus wasn't going to be with them bodily much longer, he wanted them to remember him constantly 
even in the normal things we do, like eating and drinking. And I think this is why in the book of Acts, what did the early believers devote themselves to? The breaking of bread together. Not because it's like super fun to eat dinner with your friends, although it is, okay, and we're not debating that, uh, but because they were remembering that their dear friend, Jesus, was still with them. It was still the same, except it was totally different. Yeah. And what does this mean for us today? Where's the invitation? I think the invitation is for us to remember God. That is a phrase that's just been rolling through my head the last couple months. Um, I just hear the Lord speaking it over me. Remember God. And it's not just remember God on a Sunday morning as you're driving to church or when you run out of money three days before payday or your dog gets sick. (laughs) Uh, But it's remembering God even while we eat and drink and do the very basic functions of life. He is with us. That's the invitation for us today. Okay, last one. We're going to read about Thomas. He's one of my favorite characters in the whole New Testament. Um, Before we get there, I want to talk about art museums. Dusty knew I was going to go here. Okay, I've been really wanting to go to an art museum lately. This is not my natural inclination. I'm not anti-museum. Okay, but I've never been like, hey, babe, let's go look at art. Okay, that's just not something I've ever said. But I don't want to just go to an art museum. I want to go to like the good ones, right? I want to go to like Italy and wherever the other good ones are. I don't know. <laughs> Paris. <laughs> Paris, that's the, that's the word. You know, we just got back from Washington, D.C. Guess where we didn't go? An art museum. We just couldn't muster up the the strength to drag our kids through an art museum. Anyway, I would like to go there without children. That's my other caveat. Okay, Um, but it is a good call. Here's what I want to do, more so than just like stand back and look at the art. And here's the one thing I know I can't do. I really want to touch the art. (laughs) Like I want to go right up to a Van Gogh and I just want to take my hands and go, (sighs) okay. I want to feel like the thickness of the paint because he was known for like glopping the paint on and like that made him famous. I want to look at like the intricate brush strokes of these like Renaissance artists who painted this like crazy detailed uh, pictures. I want to look at it all and guess what? We can't do that. My mom may remember when we were, when I was a kid once at the Art Institute of Chicago, I saw a painting that just, I don't know, really spoke to me. So I pulled out my little Kodak disposable camera and I fired up the flash. I took, oh, I know. There's some people who are like, oh, don't do that. I took a picture and this museum worker like descended from the rafters and was like, no flash photography. And I was like, okay. It was like, we can't even take pictures, let alone touch these things. They're too precious. Okay, our little paws are just too greasy. We can't do it. We can't do it. Hmm. These works of art are meant to be observed, at least somewhat, from a distance. They're not meant for touching. Like when I go into Hallmark with my kids, I say, look, don't touch. Let's pull up John 20, 24 through 29. You don't have it? Well, that's okay. I'll pull it up. I didn't bring my 
totally fine. All right. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. So he had not seen Jesus. But they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds. There it is. In his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound of his side. He's really going all in. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was just standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And here's what Thomas said. My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's us. It's really easy to read this story and have this takeaway. Don't be like Thomas. Okay? That's very easy. But I'd like to submit that it's actually okay to have doubts. I have doubts about a lot of things. <laughs> we all do. I think doubt is just another one of those things that was not eradicated with the news that Jesus had come back to life. Except it changed entirely, right? Because Thomas's doubt was doubt that wanted to believe. Thomas is described throughout church history as having doubt which gave way to faith. If his doubt wasn't there, I don't think his faith would have come along the way eventually either. Do you doubt today? Good. That's fine. So where's the Old Testament bridge? It's not quite as obvious uh, as opposed to the last two stories. Um, But let's pull up verse 28. It's four words. My Lord and my God. So he is not just recognizing that Jesus is back, but he is saying, Jesus and God, Yahweh, are one. Mm-hmm. Where is the reorientation here? It's the next question. Uh, could we skip up to the next verse? Verse 29. I told you, you're really getting a workout up there. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Again, Jesus knew that his time on earth was ticking. And there would come a time where the only option would be to believe without seeing or choose unbelief. Right? His words to Thomas were gentle, but they held a lot of weight in the room and they hold a lot of weight for us today as well. Um... Not only does this apply to us who are not first-generation believers, right? We weren't there in the room. But Jesus knew that the people in that room with him were going to be the ones being tasked uh, with spreading and communicating the good news of the new kingdom. 
And he is preparing them to know that he's not going to be around for them to point to and say, see, told you, I told you so. So what Thomas wanted was empirical evidence and Jesus was merciful enough to give it. But Jesus was reorienting his disciples uh, to the idea that belief without seeing or faith was the new currency. And that is our invitation as well. It may seem like uh, the exact opposite of something you're going to hear at church, but the resurrection of Jesus and living into that resurrection life is an invitation for your doubts. And I know there's enough people in the world who would doubt everything I've said for the last however many minutes. That's okay. Um, but here's what I cannot get over is when Jesus, or when Thomas doubted, Jesus did not offer him little platitudes. He didn't tell him, what are you thinking? You're wrong. He did not berate him. Um, he did not tell him, you need to get your theology right. He didn't do any of that. He offered Thomas his very body. What a beautiful image. Um, this is very maternal to me, honestly. I've got three kids, and often what calms them and what grounds them into like the reality of what's happening in the room at that moment is for me to offer my body. And mothers in the room, you can understand this. As babies, to feed them. As toddlers, to, well, sometimes keep them out of the road. <laughs> you know, um, uh, my other kids are five and seven, and just to hug them and hold their hand and just be there for them. Um, the invitation to touch and feel Jesus' body that ultimately converts Thomas's doubt into faith. So, band, you can come back up. Oh, there's one. Okay. <laughs> you all can come back up. And here's what I just want to say. Like, the invitation is still there for us today as well. Uh, I don't know why, but just I kept hearing maybe this week that there's People who maybe just have very significant doubts, maybe not even about the Lord, but just you're coming into the room today and you are just carrying doubt with you. Maybe it's about something in your life. Maybe it's something that happened at work this week. I don't really know. Um, but if that's you, or maybe it is, maybe you're like, I don't, this, I don't think so. Maybe that is you. Uh, we would love to pray for you today and to walk with you through uh, doubt because in the new kingdom, Jesus can take your doubt and exchange it for faith. Yeah. So uh, go ahead and stand if you'd like. If you are on the ministry team today, hop on up. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.